This morning, our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew. It's chapter 5, starting at verse 27. Again, if you'd like to follow along, it's on the front of your bulletin. If you remember, this is Jesus, and he's in the midst of his Sermon on the Mount. And last week, he preached about anger and murder. And today, he's going to preach about lust and adultery and divorce. Because Jesus is on a roll. This is a good time, right? Come on, yeehaw, here we go. Let's talk about, let's talk about divorce. But uh, with that, let's read what Jesus has to say. Again, it's Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, right? Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and by your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will, discover peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So let's talk about divorce. Uh, of the three words that Jesus does address, lust, adultery, and divorce, for our purposes today, I think is probably the word worth talking about the most is divorce. And here's why. Last week after service over at Rochester, you know, get that few minutes before people go, and we were talking about how the sermon last week was on anger and murder. And uh, I said, well, you know, here goes Jesus, because wait, next week we get to talk about adultery and divorce. And a couple of people looked at me and very sincerely kind of gave me that look like, are you going to give that sermon where you condemn people who get divorced? And my answer today is the same as it was last week. It's a one-word sermon. No. I'm not sure how it, why anybody would think that that would be what I would do, but here's what I think. I think I'm probably up against at least two things. One, Christianity's worst hits, right? The moments when we have not exactly been the light in people's lives. So as they deal with divorce in their lives, they experience either condemnation or judgment in some way from the church. So I'm up against those kind of experiences people have had. And the other thing that I think I'm up against, why they would go, are you going to give that sermon, is because divorce is painful. And the very people who are asking me are divorced. And so I think no matter how hard you try, you're always going to be up against one of the most painful experiences of anybody's life. And so, you know, there's just always that sort of a bit of an edge, a bit of an energy that says, I, I don't know if I can handle hearing anything about this. Which is why I started with our prayer of intercession this morning. I wanted to remind all of us who we are. 
right? That prayer I've been using for several weeks now. Did you hear it? It had no condemnation. It had no judgment for anybody in it. It was a prayer to God that in the end says, we pray for shalom. And I love that word. That's a Hebrew word. Can't even be translated into English. It's so complex. But it's words like peace, right? Shalom means peace. It also means well-being. You're praying that each individual and the whole world will be in a place, not just of peace, you know, a lack of violence or something, but everyone's life will be well. That's how we pray. Because that's who we are. We don't show up and have a shared project together of condemnation or judgment. And more than that's not who we are. Why are we not that? Because that's not the God we come to worship. The consistent refrain of Scripture is that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's the God that's worth coming and worshiping on a Sunday morning. So as we gather, you're not going to hear, I hope, condemnation or judgment. What I actually want you to hear from God and from Jesus this morning, the real word is protection. If you've ever known somebody who sees something bad going on in someone else's life, someone they love, and they get angry about it, not because they're judging, but because they just want to protect that person and feel powerless towards it, that's closer to what you need to experience from God. It's, it's the desire to protect. Remember that Jesus will go on to say from what he says in the Sermon on the Mount, and he will say, I am the great shepherd. I'm the great shepherd. And my sheep I want to protect. How do you protect sheep? Well, you give them a space where they can graze and live and have that freedom to enjoy their lives, but you also put boundaries around it, right? You put up the fence that keeps the wolves away for protection. When we hear the word divorce, hear God saying, I'm trying to protect you. Because honestly, if any of you are divorced, if any of you are know somebody who's gone through a divorce, would any of you ever recommend it to someone else? It's painful. At least that's what people tell me about it. It's incredibly painful. The good might be that you get out of a really horrible relationship or a relationship just so broken you can't fix it anymore. And the good, the collective good of it might be that on the other side of it, you get to have a life that God promised, that life of abundance, that somehow life can get better when you finally accept that this isn't working. Those collective goods on either side of it are real, but I don't know anybody who's ever said to me, hey, divorce, that was a good time, let me do that again. So put yourself in that position and realize that's how God and Jesus are responding. This is going to hurt. But it happens. Don't forget that. It happens. Remember when Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's in quotes. What is he quoting? He's quoting Deuteronomy. Did you know that? In the Old Testament law, there were provisions on how to get divorced. I know we have this picture in our head often of biblical times and biblical people and the kind of faithfulness they were called to and expected of. And so we think, well, divorce was forbidden forever. 
right? You're out if you ever got divorced. No. <laughs> Divorce has been happening not only in our time, but all the way through time. Because again, relationships break. And people are not perfect enough to put them back together. And some relationships are so bad, you have to get out. It's not that God loves divorce, but God goes, I get it. Divorce needs to happen. And so, yes, there are Old Testament laws about how to get a divorce. Because it happens. Remember, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You're not talking to a God who does not understand mercy or grace. You're talking to a God who defines those words. So Jesus takes on the task of giving this sermon about, well, lust. Actually, let's talk about lust for a second. Uh, Jesus uses the word lust in Greek, but the, the Ten Commandments rule that he's actually applying there, remember, Sermon on the Mount is always about the Ten Commandments, is actually the word covet. And kind of in the combination of both, you want to understand what it is that he's saying. Lust, just it's that desire that sort of takes over your life, right? I really want that. Covet had that same sense in Hebrew, but covet also was the idea that not only is it taking over your thinking, but you're planning it out, right? Here's that thing I want, and I'm going to go get it. So Jesus is saying, and the covet rule, the, where, where the things connect is, I want something other than what I've got. And I'm actually actively planning on blowing up my life to get it. <laughs> That's covet. Which leads to, and you can see the chain of thought here, uh, coveting leads to adultery, right? The other thing I want that I can't have, so I'm going to go get it. Which can also end up being in divorce because not only do you hurt that person, but maybe you say, oh, well, that relationship's not good enough anymore. So that is the chain of thought that connects these things that Jesus is talking about. But Old Testament law uh, also understood that you couldn't reverse engineer that, right? You couldn't go backwards. You couldn't say that every time someone got divorced, it was because somebody committed adultery or because somebody lusted or coveted. There's a lot of reasons why people get divorced. That's one chain. That's a, a very dangerous chain that Jesus addresses, but it's, it's not that that's the only reason. And there's a lot of reasons that relationships break. And that's important to realize because, again, the Old Testament law was not this rigid sense of you've done something so horrible that you can't move on with your life. There was this great big open space of going, it didn't work. Time to move on. How do you do that? So, again, it, divorce happens. There is that, that chain of problems that you can connect between lust all the way to divorce, but it doesn't always have to be that. And there's at least one more part here of what Jesus talks about in the protection, like trying to warn you off of something that's really unique. And it may be hard to grasp that this is, what, this is what's happening, but from history, we know this is what would happen when Jesus gave this sermon. The thing about those Old Testament laws was this. In a marriage, one person could get the divorce. The other person couldn't. Can you guess how that worked in the ancient world? Who could petition for a divorce and who couldn't? The man could petition for a divorce, the woman couldn't. Why? 
Look at that covet rule. You covet a man's household, which includes his ass, his donkey, his children, his property, and his wife. Now, not that women were completely just you know, on the same level as the cattle, but there was a sense that men were in charge and that the women were their property to some extent. So women didn't get the right to petition for divorce, only a man could. And what happened with that law was, uh, the Old Testament law was supposed to be sort of this spacious thing, kind of, all right, any kinds of reasons could lead to this, uh, let's just do it well. And so their idea of doing it well was, you need to give the woman a letter of certificate that she's out of the marriage, and then you can send her on her way. And that's often what would happen in Jesus' time if there was a divorce. The men would go, here's your certificate of divorce. I wash my hands of this relationship. And then what happens to the woman? Not good. Not good. Exactly. Not good. They, could they get jobs? No. Could they take care of themselves? No. They might be able to go back to their family of origin, but that's not ever a given. What happens to the woman next after the man goes, I wipe my hands, wash my hands of you, is where Jesus goes, gentlemen, I can't let you do that. Here when Jesus talks about how, in the end, when you get a divorce and you, uh, the woman ends up committing adultery when she gets into another relationship, and if you're in another relationship with a woman who's been married, it's adultery, you may hear all this kind of judgment talk. But actually, what I think he's doing is he's going, gentlemen, you do not get to be comfortable with me going, you wash your hands. You don't get to. You know, in the end, divorce is an extremely painful, harmful thing. And as a symbol, it is the antithesis of what God wants in the kingdom of God, right? Kingdom of God is communion. God brings us all back together, union with God and with each other, so that act of breaking relationship doesn't belong there. God understands that it happens. But God needs to find a way to redeem it. And if God's people are just kind of going around going, yeah, it's okay. Jesus is going, I can't let you be comfortable with that. In other words, the lesson to learn, no matter what culture you're in and how, you know, thank goodness women now have agency, they can go get jobs, they can petition their own divorces if they need to, is all of that changed. The thing that doesn't change in all this is Jesus going, my disciples take responsibility for each other. They might be in a bad marriage and they might need to get out, but they never get off the hook of being in each other's lives because that's what the kingdom of God is. We're all in each other's lives. We are all responsible for each other in some way. Communion means there is no washing your hands of anyone. I don't know if that means you're supposed to call your ex this afternoon. I would not assume that that's what that means. But Jesus is going, you don't, I can't let you be comfortable in the idea that you're ever done with someone else because you never are. We never are. I'll close with this. Um, that washing your hands idea kind of came to my mind. Do you know the other time in the Bible when someone tries to wash their hands of somebody? 
Uh-huh, exactly. So Jesus gets arrested by the religious authorities, and they bring him to the governor of Rome, Pilate. And Pilate's looking at Jesus, interviews him, talks to him, and is like, I don't see the problem. So Pilate goes out on the public space, and he makes this symbol of doing what? Washing his hands of what's about to happen to Jesus. I'm out. Whatever happens, it's not my responsibility. Does that work? The innocent guy still dies because Pilate tries to wash his hands. The religious leaders are responsible. Pilate is responsible. And our theology says that we are all responsible. There's just no such thing as getting to wash your hands of anybody else. And you don't get to use God's law to make yourself comfortable with the idea that you get to wash your hands of anyone else. This is not judgment. This is not condemnation because divorce happens. This is a call to the entire community to never let it be okay with themselves that they don't care. That's where injustice happens. But the most profound thing about the, the being Pilate and Jesus in that story is Jesus knew that. He knew that about the religious authorities, and he knew that about Pilate, and he knew that about us and the crowds and everyone else. The way we break. The way we're incapable of holding on to the good things. The way we need a Messiah, right? Jesus makes a way, even through broken relationships, the ones that we can't fix, he makes a way so that the kingdom of God can be fulfilled. He's the one who will redeem those relationships. No more condemnation. No more judgment. It's enough heartache, enough between two people when they get divorced. The community does not need to add to it, does it? All we need to do is remind them, we love you the way God loves you, steadfast love. We pray for you the way God is there for you for shalom in your life. And remember that even on the other side of divorce, there's just no relationship that ever isn't going to be redeemed by God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for sending Jesus into the world. And God, even when we encounter messages from him that do intimidate us, make us a bit uncomfortable, Help us to recognize when being uncomfortable is what's good about it. Help us to set aside judgment and condemnation. Help our brothers and sisters going through difficult times to know that they are loved. And help us to be a people that reminds everyone, even them, their relationship will be redeemed in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's uh, join together and sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine.